welcome to another episode of the Impulse Forum, where imagination, education, and inspiration meet to create enterprise. Good afternoon and all other times to all our fellow Impulse Chasers. I'm the Impulse Director and your host, Kevin Colton. Because of some scheduling issues, Pastor Mark couldn't be here with us for this episode, but we'll be returning in the fall to MCR Live Impulse Forum events, and he will join us in future episodes from time to time. Today, we have another great guest that I'm excited to introduce to you all. Previously, we have been featuring guests who have been at the careers for a good while, so I wanted to bring some people into the studio who are on the front end of their careers, paying dues, but still following their passion and purpose, and making a living doing what they love. This episode, we are also recording from a new location at Slow Todd Podcasting Studio, where our guest works as artistic director, producer, and musician. He's a true creative influencer on the Central Coast, an international performing freelance pro musician, and in very high demand here in the slow music scene. Ladies and gentlemen, the simply badass bass man himself, James Giardo. Welcome, James. Oh, thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. I think this is going to be a really, uh, really pivotal uh, episode for not only maybe myself and and yourself, but those listening as well. So, How old were you when you started playing music like what when did you discover this uh you know this first love how old were you Uh, well i guess when i first started playing thinking thinking on it i guess i would say well to to maybe give a hair backstory sure of why i even decided to pursue an instrument or music well not music but an instrument in general uh, was through uh, my brother, Daniel. Uh, he had started playing guitar about a year uh, before I had decided, you know, on my first instrument. And uh, when I was about 13 or 14, so I'd say right at sophomore year, high school into coming into junior year is when I finally picked up the bass. And I only wanted to play the electric bass because I didn't want to copy my brother and play guitar because <laughs> um, that's, that's just sounded lame. So, um, and conveniently, I have two brothers, and and just as convenient and serendipitous as that, um, they both enjoyed playing music, or they at least loved listening to music. Um, Daniel was already playing guitar at that point, but Jonathan uh, developed as a drummer, and so the three of us actually started playing in the garage. And even before I even had a bass in my hand, I was just playing keyboards. I was just trying to play bass with the keys and just try to, you know, basically mess around with the upper register. And eventually uh, got a bass. And thankfully, my mom uh, was very encouraging uh, with my brothers and I at that point in our lives. Um, And so she gave us uh, sort of our first kind of semi-formal music lessons about, for me, it was probably about maybe two years after I started playing. So I, I was about the end of, it was like junior year, I started I started actually do, hitting it real hard. So we, we developed not only as a, you know, brother core unit, um, but then I also decided to kind of pursue outside people um, within my community and within my school. Um, sort of like-minded people that enjoyed sort of the same kind of um, classic rock, metal, jazz, not, not jazz, can't say that, that's too early. Um, metal, uh, classic rock, um, death metal almost, and like sort of progressive rock music a little bit later on. So what eras of music are we talking about here as far as like when you're it, a junior <laughs> in high school, what year is this? I, this is 2000 and... You mean the year and time? Yeah. Oh, this is probably 2005. Okay. 2004, 2005. So did you, were you inspired by the music of the day or did you have to go back to classic rock and those kind of like, what what kind of music did you cut your teeth on? Um, I, yeah, I, you know, it was interesting. I actually sort of, 
um, it was a little bit hard for me to get into some of the newer material that was coming out at that time. Um, not because I thought it was like necessarily bad. I just, I just didn't think, um, it, it really, when I was growing up sort of trying to figure out like yourself as an individual, you kind of gravitate towards things that sort of mean something to you arbitrarily at that point in time. Um, it was harder for me to get into the popular music of that time because I, I felt like I wasn't, it had, I had a hard time fitting in, you know, mm, as, right. as a, as sort of a young adult going through high school. And so when you have a hard time fitting in, you, you tend to gravitate towards things that aren't really don't fit in. Yeah. And so popping music doesn't, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that fits in. So you have to find something else that doesn't fit in. But it just, at that time, at that time yeah. and place, it just didn't feel right for me. So what music spoke to you? If you're saying that stuff that wasn't, when you say death metal, like what are you talking about? Oh, um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I, from, I'll, I'll start from, I guess, like the, the classic rocks period. Um, cause that's sort of what I was really kind of like, okay, this is something I'm really like can get behind, you know, it was very raw and authentic. It felt, I felt like it, you know what I mean? Uh, bands like Zeppelin, um, Iron Maiden was another big one. Um, great bass guitarist. Yeah. Man. Great. Yeah. Um, Later on, like Rush, bands like that. Um, there was like, like even sort of like, like even like Loggins and Messina, like that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, sort of this like not quite pop country, but like in that zone, like a lot of like uh, like Cream, Blind Faith, um, Jack Bruce, The Who. That was a big one too. Um, and then later on, like Yes, which was sort of more in that classic rock kind of progish, symphonic prog kind of ineptitude. But um, and then from there, like to kind of get into the more like metal stuff, it was kind of like um, because this was two thousand four. Like like Opeth was a very big uh, name that was kind of being tossed around. Bands like Winter Sun, Blind Guardian. Um, even some Jews Priest. Jews Priest was still like making music then. Um, trying to think of more. Like Machine Head was big. So I'm as And those, I'm, as those I'm, are the bands that spoke to you, like th- that you resonated with? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, Queensryche, Dream Theater. Oh, right on. Queensryche. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Queensryche. Yeah, they're like sort of the like. The unsung heroes of progressive rock music, yeah. and then yeah, Fate's Warning too, and like just like just bands that were kind of like um, very nerdy, like very um, heady kind yeah, of kind exactly. of rock. It, it, it was really into the music. It was kind of yeah, yeah. it was really interesting. It was like it was a combination of like um, a lot of those bands like talked about God and like love and loss. So it was like had very serious themes, but then it was like really hard to get into like melodically because it just a lot of the stuff wasn't very repetitious mm-hmm. and something i don't know something felt very like off about it so i i felt like very turned on about that <laughs> so <laughs> um good. so yeah i think that that kind of stuff was sort of like in the you know and then and then eventually that's what ended up happening is i found uh, other musicians um in high school that listened to that kind of stuff. And we started playing in a, in a garage band. And um, we did that for almost three years and we actually were called uh, Maelstrom. Uh, it was like a five piece originally now. And then we brought it back to four, um, but two guitars, bass and drums. And the drummer, um, he, he loved Iron Maiden like so much. <laughs> um, Megadeth too is another, another big one, um, Metallica too. But, uh, and then my, the other guitar player was more blues oriented. You know, he liked Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and, and that kind of stuff. And my brother, Daniel, you know, he was more into, you know, Alex Lifeson and Steve Howe and, and, uh, um, all these, these other, these other artists that I can't even think of right now. I'm just based on, but these other sort of more, uh, intricate, guitar-esque uh, players that that uh, had a little bit more depth to their harmony and sort of more rhythmic variation and p- 
picking strummings and interesting hybridity of bluegrassy kind of stuff and finger picking and and then I was sort of in kind of in the crux between that too. I liked the the John Paul Jones and the you know this the John Ed Twistle, you know, that was that was like the Bible, you know, growing up. Um and then, you know, even just the Jack Bruce and all that. But, you know, even later on, Steve Harris and John My Young and um, a couple other just heavy, um, Tony Levin, just, uh, you know, King Crimson type players too that that were just very much, uh, they had a lot, you know, Giddy Lee, they just had a lot going on. But it was all very calculated, you know what I mean? It was all very precise. And so that's that's the kind of seeing that, out of that stuff that wasn't in be so precise again it kind of just turned me on to the idea that like oh this kind of music is like we can get behind this you know because it, it has like a very it, every note had meaning whereas the popular musics the song just it needed to have meaning but not the whole parts of the song so it just it felt a little contrived whereas the the older stuff or even the newer metal stuff that was coming out back then kind of had more of a intrins intrinsic value on musicianship and caricature and quality and lyricism and just um you know it's 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 like putting on a, a record and you know putting it on and listening to the whole record not just kind of haphazardly going through spotify and just right. like all right i'm gonna pick my favorite song a, yeah song by song yeah. versus the yeah. the whole production of a of an album of an yeah. album yeah. right so you're you're in you're in high school. You're in a garage band. You felt like an outsider, but so you've got this music that feels out speaking to you because it's on the outsider level too. Um, I do think as you know, a lot of a lot of people would be um, would say that a lot of that music though that you're talking about, uh, the early classic rock is 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 the Bible for much of the music. Most musicians that uh, you know, it's, there's a there's a lot of people you have to that school us, you know, but like Jimi Hendrix and the Jimmy Pages and those bands like that that have so much influence. But so you're 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 a junior in high school. You guys are playing. What? How? At what point were you like thinking, man, this is what I want to do? Oh, um, did that come later, or was that? I guess. Well, at the time, I was sort of conflicted with playing baseball professionally and maybe doing a serious music thing um i had basically i always had some sort of day job by the time when i was at least from age 16 to 21 and whether it was just dog walking or uh busting tables you know most of the time or or just doing dishwa dish washing work or prep cooking um the longest day job i've ever had i think i was I think it was at Cad's Coffee House, man, like in Los Sosos. It was there for a year and a half, so it's it's pretty funny. But I guess the turning point for me, I guess if I fast forward um, in time, you know, if I pass through high school, basically uh, my metal band um, disbanded by the time I got into Cuesta College. So when I graduated, I didn't I didn't have great grades. I mean, I. I knew that I always had, I knew that I can always do the work, but I was so preoccupied with just being creative that um, doing school work just, was just not cutting it for me. So I would pretty much skimp by, I think I had like a 2.5 or something. It was not great. Um, so I couldn't really get into college right away. So I decided just to, you know, hang tough at Cuesta and just kind of ride shop with my mom and, and pay her some rent. You know, in that time it was like 300 bucks. And I was like, this is a lot of money. <laughs> But no, it's, anyway, yeah, so it's like, so if I keep going through that, um, by the time I was, I guess, the last job I had, I was 21 years old. I worked um, at this place called uh, Vienna Vi. Um, and I remember walking out of that place, like, I don't even think I gave him my two weeks, man. I think I just walked out. <laughs> uh, but I remember uh, I told my mom when I came home, hey, you know, mom, I, uh, I just wanted to let you know, I, you know, I quit my job, you know, and I was only at that time, I only was working one day a week because I, I had started already kind of getting gigs. And I was at, I was at Cuesta College at this point, playing in ensembles and doing a lot of 
uh, you know, in-person practicing and also a lot of listening and just being called for just various gigs in the county. Um, nothing like super fancy, but just, you know, maybe one or two a week, maybe, maybe one, you know, where at least I can make 50, bucks. So I wasn't. When did that start happening for you? Like, when did you get, uh, what was your first gig? What, what was your first oh, big anyway, gig? You know, my, my first, well, my first big gig, I'm, um, when I was actually, I was actually 17, I played for the, played for this mock rock performance um, for Morbid High School, actually. But we had it, um, we had it at a different facility at that time um, because we, we, we actually won our competition at the school and then they took our band with several other winning acts to compete, you know, in, in this sort of more um, uh, bigger event. I think it actually was at Cal Poly. Um, from what I remember, but at the, uh, at the PCPA performing arts center there. And, uh, that was my first big gig actually. Um, and then I think after that I had played the Morbay Harbor Fest. Um, but I wasn't necessarily getting, we actually got paid for that gig. Um, the one we did the mock rock gig at Cal Poly, we actually did get paid for that, but that all went towards the band. We actually spent money. We actually invested that money into t-shirts made t-shirts so we were already having this business sort entrepreneurial of, ideas yeah and um yeah i gotta give a shout out to uh, garrett craig and uh kenneth davis actually those were the the guys in maelstrom so i'm still in contact with them love those guys so um but uh yeah i guess the first like that was sort of my first introduction to like all right maybe this is you know um something i could do potentially you know i i didn't uh, let me let me just sort of rephrase this for listeners is that i didn't really wake up one day and and like all right i'm i'm gonna be a professional musician today you know what i mean like i'm just gonna wake up and say all right this is what i'm gonna do i don't think life works like that i think there's a series of events that happens and you the things get cataloged in your mind and as you sort of develop and and reflect on those things if you have time to reflect on those things some people do not um that you know you gravitate towards what you're ultimately you know makes you feel happy um so playing music was something that sort of made me feel happy um and and people are responding obviously yeah exactly yeah and, and so essentially <laughs> the, so to answer your question yeah I I remember making the decision to quit my job because I had people coming up to me saying, "Why are you working a job? You should just like play music. I see you like playing a lot. You should just do that." And I was like, "Well, okay. I mean, I'll I'll do that." But again, back to the this back to now the point at which I told my mom I oh, was yeah. gonna I was gonna quit the job. And I told her I quit, and she uh, she freaked out. She like had this whole thing. She's like, "Oh my god." Her, James, what did you do? Like, how are you gonna make money? Like, how are you gonna, how are you gonna survive? You know, and and being a professional musician was something sort of out of like a comprehension zone for my family, actually, um, because they they grew up in such a hardworking environment that to see somebody do music for a living that just seemed ludicrous, you know, right. just sort of uh, debaucherous. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, 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 and it's interesting because it's not like she didn't support me playing. It's just she didn't support the idea of me doing it as a lifestyle, mm. um, which sort of um, gave me um, not necessarily insecurities, but just self-doubt where I was like, okay, well, is this something I should be doing? And thankfully, I was able to just continue through because I, it made me happy. At the end of the day, what I was doing made me happy. Hmm. And so, no matter you know, I, you know, eventually I was getting you know gigs, and a lot of those gigs were not paid gigs too, and just eating just to get food, you know. Um, but that's just sort of this the kind of not the not just the internal struggle, but the the outer struggle of what it actually is like to to do that sort of thing um but it's not really for the faint of heart obviously but um it's very self-sacrificing but it's also a very beautiful thing right and that's you know that's the reality of anybody anybody setting out on their passion 
uh, to to follow their passion and to do you know there's going to be doubt there's going to be obstacles there's just going to be obstacles anyway so you got to be really ready to stick to your guns to uh to see it through you know and then when you do get knocked down to you know get back up and keep going you know or or take a break and a breather but then get back into it you know yeah sure thing absolutely um yeah there's things that um i guess like i would say like during those experiences you know early on there were some you know obviously wins and there were some you know losses too um when you're you know when you're very hyper focused on something you sort of lose tangibility with maybe some of the outside world you know what i mean um i well maybe the listeners do not do not know what i mean so i'll try to explain that is when you when you focus on something you know many hours a day you start to uh kind of lose lose touch with reality a little bit um so trying to find sort of that inner peace with being comfortable not just you know um, with the music itself, but then to put the music down and 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 live a live a life. You need to interact with different types of people. Different types of people. Yeah, I think that's um, more along the lines. If I would to go back in time and tell myself, my younger self, that I probably would say that um, because because you don't gain the same social concepts when you grow up and then you're having to deal with sort of these outside things as you, you know, mature into your late twenties and thirties when you have to pay bills and be a normal adult. Here at the Impulse Forum, our sponsorship program offers different levels for opportunity and involvement. Find out more at theimpulseforum.com. So we want to take this time to offer a very special thanks to our first mastermind sponsor, Coach Chris Cachera. Discover Coach Chris's Regenesis 360, a lifestyle concierge center located in Pismo Beach, California. Visit Regenesis 360 to sign up for a complimentary ARX resistance training session. That's Regenesis360.com. So, t- James, talk about people that you, um, when you're in this t- transition time in high- college, and uh, you know, you're... Uh, I don't think know if we mentioned this directly, but you're developing as a jazz artist and with the jazz. Oh yeah, because you play the jazz Cuesta ensemble. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this is this is, I guess, sort of actually a turning point too in my music chapter, where I sort of finally listening started to actually appreciate jazz music. It wasn't like I didn't already. It's just I just never had that in my horizon because I was so focused in on playing metal music playing rock music. So at that time, as you're developing as a musician, like who were your influencers in re- real life mentors, real life people that helped you kind of navigate this, um, this time? Oh yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's plenty of people along the way who've done so much. Um, um, Jim master guitar Murphy would be the first guy. Uh, he so, sort of, a, the sort of an interesting father figure for me when I was, uh, taking private lessons with him back in high school. As I went into Cuesta, it became uh, the Ron McCarleys, the Dave Becker, um, George Stone, too, uh, had had theory with him. I always thought that he was just sort of a crazy genius. These are teachers that, um, instructors yeah, at Cuesta? Yeah, instructors at Cuesta, yeah. Um, as far as real-life people, um, I would say even the people that I played with, um, you know, Josh and Sean Collins, for example, these are these are two people that I sort of grew up playing jazz with musically. It's always nice to cite like, oh, my favorite, you know, my favorite bass player, Christian McBride and Ben Williams and Derek Hodge and like all these people that are just, you know, the shit, you know, for lack of a better, you know, they're just, they're bad. Um, but it's nice to just bring it to reality for a second and be like, okay, who are the people that I actually play with? <laughs> you know, I, I, I can play with these people on record, but they're not, they're on record. You know, they're not actually in my living room. So yeah, I would say those, those people from, from the, from the academic world, for sure. I have, I hold them very high regard. Um, Were they telling you, you can do this 
Like, were they, who, um, the, were they like, do it, like pursue it? Or what kind of encouragement did you get along that, those lines? I guess from, from a, from a student standpoint, um, I got, I got the, the knowledge, um, and the, the hands-on experience of actually like, of actually doing it. As far as like the, the confidence to do it, that comes from your, that has to come from sometimes within. Um, I know that like there were times when I was, for example, like practicing in the practice room and I just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? And I would just start crying. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh man, I just can't do it. But that's when you know, like when you're like really beat up, you know, you can like, that's when you're, you know, when you're crying over some, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's an extremity. So, but, but that's kind of like, um, I guess that's kind of like, I had those teachers to help balance that out for me. Like I wasn't so lost within myself that like, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was crying out for help or anything, but it was just like, ah, like my, I'm musically dumb, help me. <laughs> And then they'd be like, all right, just here, it's a safe nest, you know. That's like, that's kind of what, actually, that's kind of what school is in a lot of ways. It's like a safety nest um, for a lot of people. Um, but but, but for, for that time, um, it was just very helpful, like, counseling-wise. Not only, like, I was getting, you know, this depth knowledge of, of music, but I was getting, like, actual personal connection with these people, you know what I mean? Like, like I know all these people personally now. You know what I mean? Like, versus like, you know, the sort of my early period where I was like, I just want to play music. Like, I just want to hang out with these stoners and not get stoned and play these play music. You know what I mean? That was like that was the kind of attitude that I had. Where versus by the time I kind of got more into college and it was like, okay, I gotta like be responsible for my feelings and do all this stuff and just you know make make appropriate judgment calls and you know, just grow within that. So did you have people say, besides people are telling you, Hey, that's great playing and, and getting gigs and things like that. But did you have people in the business community, like the gig, the venues you played that were just like any encouragement along those lines? Like man, by having to come back or did you really, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, no, I had, I had, um, I had not only, well, I had not only, um, you know, um, patrons, I guess. I don't, I don't want to say, it's not like they're giving me money, but I had, I had, I had, you know, basically quote unquote fans along the way, you know, giving me positive support and stuff, but I equally had the same haters, you know, and those people, whether they're audience members or other band people, or, um, even some venue owners that want a specific kind of music that you have maybe, may or may have not given them, but they expect that of you, but they hired you anyway, knowing that you don't do that. And then they blame you for not playing the right music. Well, uh, that's, that's one of those, uh, yeah. That would probably be unexpected to somebody that's not in the music community. <laughs> or, you know, that could go like, that would be a real difficult thing to navigate as far as like, uh, it's like, here's the job description. And then, yeah, but we're gonna yeah, flip it yeah, on you, which happens yeah. in other. Well, other well, no, I mean that's. I but, mean, you know, no, I mean you. You know, in some respects, you. I think you should be ready for sort of that. Um, that uh, it's like in you know jazz and improvisation. You have to sort of be on your toes anyway as a musician performer. You really don't know what's gonna happen on stage. Um, I've had plenty of weird random crazy things where I've seen people fall off stage. I've seen people jump around and kind of get, get real crazy. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've broken a bass on a gig. Um, I've had, I've had a, a grown woman like lick my bass in front of everyone on the gig with everyone watching. <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of weird, but it was, I was kind of interesting, but yeah, I, I just had like different things like that. I've had people thrown up on gear, I've had beer spilled. I've had, um, I you know, thankfully, I, you know, I haven't, uh, I, I haven't been physically hurt from doing anything. You know, the most dangerous thing I do is drive. You know, to the gig. Um, 
and back. But as far as actually that kind of stuff, it's it's I've been pretty thankful, you know, other than like a, a couple of like uh, moments where I'm like, okay, hey, can I like get some water? And like 30 minutes later, or hey, could I like, could you mind, do you mind getting me like an umbrella? It's really hot, like outside here in the shade. It's like really bad for my guitars and stuff. And they're like, yeah, we can't give you that. I'm sorry. Like, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and at that point, it's like, I, at, at that point, it's like, it's already, I've already contracted to play the gig. So I, I technically have to play the gig. Um, but I could also leave and not play the gig and not get paid. Um, but at that point, at that time, I was, you know, it was, it was early on in the career where I, I just did it, you know, um, just like I did some of those free gigs for, for food just because I needed to. So. so you're currently playing a bunch of different uh, trios and um, you've recorded some, uh, a couple of records with a band. And um, then, you know, I imagine you were pretty busy pre-COVID and then COVID happened. And uh, one of the times I saw you working was as we were about to come out of COVID, right before the holidays, I think, back in October. Um, my son's girlfriend was playing at Amsterdam. And at the time, you were coordinating the uh, events there, coordinating the musicians' plan, mm-hmm. which that stuck out to me as, wow, this guy's hustling. You know, he's, he's like, you know, we're in this weird time. Um, what does what does it look like now? Like, how how have you had to pivot uh, during a, a worldwide pandemic? And what does that look like now as things are opening up and you're starting to play more? Like, what what does the future hold for James Garrido? Ooh, well, um, I mean the the future is always wide open. I guess I I would say uh, I got I guess I would say first and foremost the listeners, um, you know, uh, be open to. Uh, options all any and all options that you have and uh don't be afraid to take the risk and just do it um but as far as like where i'm at uh with with i guess i guess you know pre-covid if i take 2019 i was on tour about i was on tour about six months out of the year um and the last gig that I had before the pandemic was March 15th, 2020, the Racketeer Room in Paso, no, excuse me, in, in Tascadero. Um, yeah, I guess it was an interesting time because at that moment, um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I was so sort of, I was very out of touch with the political and the sort of scientific world at that time. So I was so focused in on on college um, that I, again, wasn't really looking outside of my music scope to sort of gauge the rest of the world and what was happening. Um, you know, I had sort of very apocalyptic feelings for about three weeks. <laughs> it was like about three or four weeks. I of think just that, was, sort of, that was felt around the world. Yeah, I'm sure. Good. I mean, I think everyone sort of yeah. like had that more like, oh, oh, moment you know what yeah. i mean um uh but yeah well, I, think, I saw you doing live like you were on facebook live you you just <laughs> had, like had to play you were just playing drums and bass at the same time uh, you were like, yeah man i was doing all kind of, yeah it was like it was a really it was a moment where i actually kind of like went into myself and like was just like all right i'm gonna play my feelings like all the time or i'm just gonna play all the time because this is it this is like this is it and I had no intention of filing for unemployment. I had no intention of, you know, getting a job at that point because I, I I felt like I had enough money where I was doing fine. Um, thankfully, um, some musicians are obviously not on that page. So shout out to you guys for, for keeping it real. Um, but yeah, it was um, sort of a thing where I was, you know, for the first month I was, you know, practicing quite a quite a bit doing that drum bass thing and it felt really good. But yeah, it's so uh, I would get some some private things, just you know, once once a month type type of deal, um, and then I started playing uh, at some wineries when they opened, reopened up, um, and then at that time, just to sort of connect this with Amsterdam, for example, um, 
I was playing a gig with Tracy Morgan, uh, who is a, um, a black uh, drummer in his 50s. Uh, super nice guy, uh, very, very humble man, and uh, very informative dude, and very awesome man of the community as well. Um, we were playing a gig at Shale Oak, and my uh, friend, a very old friend of mine, hit me up about Amsterdam. He said, hey, um, I saw you playing with Tracy online. Um, can you help my other friend out? He's starting a business. He just opened up. Um, can you meet him in September? And I was like, okay, sure. What do you want me to do? He's like, well, I need you to help him start jazz music at his venue. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, I'm dead serious. I'm like, all right, cool, man. I'll check it out. And uh, with, I didn't really question it too much. I just was like, okay, well, I'll just I'll try it out because I, at the time, um, um, I, who, the friend who had contacted me um, was uh, this guy named Tyler Tedeschi, who I met at, at Cuesta College, and we had worked on a, a, a project for uh, Panic at the Disco, uh, the Panic at the Disco's bass player, Dallin Weeks. Um, we had recorded some demo stuff for him in in years past, and we just anyway. Long story short. He hits me up. We, uh, I meet I meet the owner. His name's Corey. Uh, super nice dude. And uh, we we have a discussion for about thirty minutes. I, I check out the place and I instantly fell in love with it. Um, instantly knew that this was going to work and it'd be foolish to not even try um, because of what's going on. And so, given the location, because it's an open air location. It made all the sense in the world to just do it. And uh, we started booking music in October. And it's been just a breath of fresh air in the community and for the the, to the jazz scene here in general and just giving a platform to not only local artists, but now, you know, international artists as well. Um, so that type of connections that you make, you know, for those who are listening, you know, you never know who you're going to meet as you go through, you know, whether it's, you know, your college or high school or life experience, you know, if you have, you know, if you promote acts of kindness throughout your life, however challenging those acts of kindness might be or not, sometimes some people are super nice all the time and they don't, you know, they don't question it. Um, but uh, if you do more of those things, I think there's just more good karma that happens along the way. And it's only just kind of benefits everyone and those around you and yourself. So yeah, just definitely be open to those types of ideas and um, be engaged in just with the idea of being a part of a community. Like there's so many times where there's a lot of people that come up to me and they're like, I, I just can't find like, I can't find a sense of like, people here like everyone's just so they're not it's not me you know blah blah and I'm like no you just haven't found the right people yet man <laughs> like it's not really about where you're at necessarily it's just about sort of the attitude that you have in the environment that you're living in like you know as I was as I was growing up here in this in this county because I've been here for over 20 years now you sort of have different trains of thought. Like I felt like I had a lot of animosity at, at a certain point, you know, to my community, but that was only because I was insecure with myself and not um, open and open to the idea that this place was a positive breeding ground for all kinds of talent, um, local, international, national. Um, so yeah, I would say just be, um, you know, for those listening again who are younger, who are trying to figure it out, um, be open to just being a part of a community. It doesn't have to be the whole community at large. You don't even have to put yourself in a giant, you know, bubble or anything. But you could, you know, gravitate towards the people or the scene that you want to connect with. And there's something out there. I mean, you might have to drive an hour to find it <laughs> or 45 minutes. Who knows, you know, but... I think uh, if you pursue those things, it only sort of helps you in the long run.
What keeps you motivated, James? What keeps you going? Uh, you know, what keeps me going? Um, I make this like really good, like big soup. I put like chicken sausage and like broccoli and carrots and like all this stuff. It's really good, man. It really keeps me going, dude. <laughs> Is that your favorite? That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good, man. I I, I love that because I can actually make it like I can make a big one. I can make a big bowl and I can like save some for later. So that's like that's the kind of stuff that keeps me going, man. Well, it's, it's like Campbell. Yeah, is important. Little, yeah, a little Campbell's chicken noodle soup in there too, man. It's real good. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but no, man. Let me. Um, I guess like uh, what, what keeps me going musically. Is that what you? Yeah, like what, what you've faced some challenges. You've had, you know what you know when we're coming out of this whole thing, and it's like what what's been inspiring you to keep pursuing what you're doing. Like, oh, what gives you? I, I honestly, man, it's it's actually the the people who are watching sometimes watching me play. That's like kind of what encapsulates the keeping going musically where it's like, it's not apocalyptic and you know what I mean? It's like these people are people and they, we live in the United States and we like to indulge and we like to have fun and we like to be social and we like to have family around us and we like to have friends and we like to do things out in public and, and just watching people smile and be happy because you're playing because they're watching you play you know that's like that's really important um also um having sort of downtime from all that too just being able to like kind of unplug and whether it's you know you need to recharge go on a i like to go on hikes a lot i like to go kayaking uh my roommate actually got me back in kayaking i had like a a little bit of a, a uh, little bit of a crazy episode with the kayak, but I got back into it thanks to him and uh, pretty stoked. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, I guess like what keeps me going too is just like knowing that there's much more for me to to be done. Like I I've done a lot. Like I've. I've even been in a movie with like Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. It's like kind of crazy, but I've but I've also like I haven't done my first record yet, and I haven't like done my uh, like I haven't done other things with with different like schools. I haven't like done a lot of whole lot of teaching yet, even though I've done private stuff. Um, I haven't been on like any big labels yet or any big um, like artists re like records yet. Um, there's just so many things that I, I can see myself still doing. Um, I just have to be, you know, and this is sort of, you know, speaking to myself and to the audience, obviously, but you just have to be very determined, but very forgiving of yourself, you know, just sort of taking step by step every day. There's, you know, there's times where I'm like comparing myself to sometimes other people, but also like, it's, I know that that's not good, you know, and, and generally I compare myself, usually I compare myself to my heroes, which are the people I don't, that don't live here, you know, it's people that I listen to on tape, you know, um, you know, great jazz artists that I compare myself to, but you can do that for so long, but you need to also just compare yourself to yourself because you're only, you're only as good as yourself is. And if you're not feeling good about yourself, then you're not going to make good music and, but there's times when there's there's moments like emotional traumatic events that happen that actually create some beautiful stuff. So there's a give and take. There's sometimes it's like there could be a really significantly, you know, crappy thing that happens, but you can make a beautiful piece of art out of that. And I think that's how people sort of heal and with trauma and, and that's how people express themselves. Um, if they're creative like that, they you know, whether it's journal writing or, um, you know, audiobook stuff or just kind of um you know uh I don't know did I say painting again I think I said painting right painting yeah okay yeah so 
in closing, James, this uh, man, um, there's a there seems to be like a whole generation of kids that are, you know, maybe high school but early twenties that are kind of lack of purpose or struggling with the lack of purpose. I I, I know a few. And, sure. and there seems to be, and then after being locked down and isolated for a year, um, want speak to the the young adult, the young woman, the young man who's who's needs some direction, needs some purpose. Like, what would you say to them, based on all your uh, where you're at now, where you've been? Like, what would you say to them? Well, I, I guess I would say just, just don't, don't give up, you know, um, as, as, as bleak and as, and as confusing and as, you know, um, vague things might be, um, they're really not. I, I think, um, if you're really determined to do something and put your mind to it, I think there's no reason why you can't do it, or at least, you know, if you if you fail, then you, then you know you've at least tried. Because if you don't try, then you don't really know. Um, you know, it's it's hard because we have a lot of social media and outside influences of things that sort of have, for lack of a better word, sort of manipulated some of the uh, the constructs that we sort of live by, and that that and that happens all the time right before our eyes um whether we like it or not but i think at the end of the day you just sort of have to accept some things that um that are out of your control um by being confident in your own ability to control your own life um i think it's good to just sort of you know take what again take what you are most happiest about and have a sense of pride and integrity and responsibility for that. You know, don't undermine it or don't undervalue what makes you feel good and what hopefully will maybe make you maybe make you some money at the end at that time. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's it's I think it's much harder to to uh, to find a career with doing something that you're most happiest with, but it's the most rewarding at the end of the day. Um, even when you're not getting the most money in the entire world, you're, you have a different kind of wealth at that point because people look at you and they want to do what you do, but they don't know how to do it because they didn't pursue what it was happy to them. They just, they sort of, you know, and again, it's what I have, what I've done too is like, it's a lot of self-sacrificing, you know, so I, you know, again, it was, you know, um, you know, it's been sort of hard for me to, to, to continue and develop, um, you know, relationships with people, but I'm, but I'm getting much better at that. You know what I mean? So I think, again, being sort of not like brutally honest with yourself, but just sort of just taking an honest look in the mirror and just being like, okay, well, it's kind of like Michael Jackson's man in the mirror song, you know, mm. you know, it's like that, that lyrical content sort of speaks to what kind of what I'm talking about. James Gerardo, thanks for coming in and uh, sharing some of the deep stuff of, of uh, your career with us. And uh, it's been really good getting to, getting to know you better and by stepping out, by engaging your community, by, you know, investing in your talents and investing in the people around you, you know, you have made yourself uh, a, a creative influencer on the Central Coast in the sense, not not like a social media influencer or something like that, but somebody that actually move, moves uh, and influences people in your industry. and. Uh, it's inspiring, and it's in, and I hope that our listeners will um, kind of follow up on some of the things that you've done by you know um, looking to where you're playing, and and uh, especially the musicians out there, the creative, those who are uh, creative types, 
Um, there is a scene here in slow that, um, that you can get, you can engage in and, um, connect with other musicians, connect with other creative types like James and, and, um, you know, invest in your, invest in your talents, invest in your skills, turn them into marketable skills, pursue the pulse. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin, so much for, for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And yeah, for those out there who want to learn more about me, I got a website. It's just jamescairo.com. I also have an Instagram handle at J underscore danger underscore G. Um, I also have a Facebook page that I, I stay active on, but I'm kind of maxed out on friends there. So please follow me on Instagram. Um, yeah, looking forward to hopefully meeting some of you and seeing you in, in, in person at a, at a gig or a show. Um, I, I try to keep myself as up to date as possible with what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm usually playing about uh, three to four to five nights a week at times now. So it's just a beautiful feeling and I'm in, internally grateful, extremely grateful and very thankful. So I hope to continue that path and hopefully uh, reach more audience members and just you know, continue to build on what and what I've done so far. And so thank you, Kevin, again, for having me. It's been a, it's a real blessing. Thank you. The Impulse Forum is a production of Social Clicks Digital Marketing. Visit socialclicks.com and get your business dominating on the digital street. A special thank you to our monthly mentor sponsor, Ed Carcary, and our interdependent dreamer sponsor, the new Fuego Hot Hits on 97.1 FM in Santa Maria. Also, a very special thanks to another interdependent dreamer sponsor, James Davis, owner, podcast producer at Slow Talk Podcasting Studio. James also hosts the Slow Talk Podcast, shining the spotlight on culture, commerce, and community. For more info and to get a podcast show produced for you and your business, check out slowtalk.com. And also, thank you to Slow Talk's Tom Brown for recording this episode, breaking the fourth wall, and laughing heartily at James's jokes. If you would like to connect with today's guest, or hire one of his trios for your next event, or just to get his delicious soup recipe, email James Giardo at jamesgiardo89 at yahoo.com. This episode was hosted by Kevin Colton and produced by Tim Motter. To become an Impulse sponsor, please visit theimpulseforum.com. Take the next step. Pursue the pulse today.